The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. What a sweet morning we've already had. being pointed to our Creator, remembering the work that He has done, singing about the things we have witnessed, and even all the way to project what it may be like into eternity as we lift up our holy, uh, loving, and gracious Lord. We're in a series studying verse by verse through the uh, wonderful letter of Romans in the New Testament, and um, based on the last uh, three weeks, as we've stayed in the same verse for for three weeks. Um, it will speed up, I promise. It will speed up, but we're going to do the part three of this Romans 1, 16 and 17. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's right in the beginning of Romans. Uh, it's like the fifth book of the New Testament, uh, I think, or sixth. And when you, um, when you use a Bible here at the church, and that's a Bible you like to use, you want to take some notes in it, that's a gift from us to you. Uh, or if you know somebody who needs the Word of God, that's what we have. We have them all over the room under the chairs. Um, may that be a gift from us to you. Our series is called The Power of God for Salvation. So as we study this book, it's a weighty book. It's a, it has a lot of beauty to it, but it's got some facets and edges and uh, some theological depth to it that we'll, we're going to take our time at certain points uh, as we consider maybe th- some thoughtful ideas of why uh, God would um, do the things that God has done and why pe- people have interacted with God the way they have and why they write about those things. So I hope today that that's also a place that we go as we ponder a few things that are new. We're spending a few weeks on this passage because I think um, not only is it a key verse for Romans, I think it's a key verse for our life, that as sinners we can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And it's, the, and it's God's power who does the work. And that's a, that's a beautiful message for all of us to know that we can rely on who God is for our own salvation. So in the first part of this passage, we learn about that uh, it's the power of God that can free us from shame because he's the one that's doing the work. And then the second part, last week, we focused on kind of describing the gospel, its purposes, what the gospel is, what it's about. And uh, we'll continue doing that, of, of course, today. But we just said that the good news is that sinners that can be saved uh, through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the story, it's the message we're going to continue to talk about throughout this book. And we learned that the gospel, it's strong, it's got a strength to it, and it's powerful in, wet, in, in breadth. It, it, it goes wide. It, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a stretch to the gospel that goes from the, uh, from, from first with the Jews and then to the Greeks or the all, all of us, all the, all the non-Jews in the world. And today we're going to focus on how the gospel displays God's character. So kind of like this third aspect, not just the, the strength and power of God, not just the, the width of his love, uh, but that it's actually a, a, a revealing or a display of who God is when you, when you study and learn about the gospel. And I think this, this is important for us today. So let's get to know who God is uh, deeper today and, and maybe know him more intentionally and more personally. Let me pray as we jump into God's word. Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you that you continue to use them from generation to generation as we just celebrated with the kids. Another generation learning to read, learning to read your word that we, we would recognize it's a lamp, that it's the light, it's the way that we walk towards and the, the right way to live life. We thank you for giving it to us. May we read it, understand it, follow it, and live a life that would please you. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Let's read these two verses, uh, 16 and 17 of the first chapter of Romans, and then we're going to focus on 17 today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, this is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, as it is written the righteous shall live by faith. So as we begin, I want you to imagine with me for a second um, that this morning, um, I got to walk up to you here at church and got to share with you that your mortgage has been paid. And not just your monthly mortgage, but that your house has been paid off and I hand you the title to your home and your name is on it. And uh, say you rent and say there's a home in the neighborhood that you wanted to, you've always wanted to live in and I hand that paperwork to you that you now own a home with your name on it. Anybody would like that news today? Some of us, oddly, not everybody. So the kids are like, "Who? Well, there's no mortgage in my life. I just, that's my bedroom right there. Like, yeah, exactly right. Um, but say, as I told you that news, uh, there was a stipulation though. Um, there's no strings attached in a sense of receiving this free home, but uh, it's an anonymous gift. And it's, and it's a gift by somebody in the church that under no circumstance can I tell you who they are. And you're like, okay. Maybe you, you start out, you're excited, right? There's this gratefulness that you have. But then like, there's some curiosity, right? There's like, what? So a human being in this room of 120 people said, they're gonna give up their savings and buy my house for me? and you never get to know who it is. Anybody a little uncomfortable with that? Like, that's, it's, 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 a, it's a good news. Now, if, like, say Elon Musk was here, be like, okay, thanks, Elon, right? You know, but it's like, that's, that's not the case for, for, that I know of in this room. Like, we would be like, well, who, who, who gave up their, their savings to buy my house for me? And this, this anonymous gift isn't, it's not bad, right? Because even we can read in the, the New Testament as Jesus shares in, in Matthew 6 about um, giving money. This is why we have two. When Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, because what happens is as humans, when we give gifts away, it, it causes trouble sometimes because we, we all know this, so we can't get away from this, the giver gets the glory. And God says, you should be generous, but you shouldn't get the glory for it. So in a lot of ways, uh, there is a right way to be generous and be anonymous about it, to be... Um, to, to keep it a secret in, in some ways. I'm not saying there aren't times when you do fundraisers and you have to write your name on a sheet of paper. I'm not, I'm not talking about things like that. I'm just saying, like, if you're giving money away for the praise of mankind, then what Jesus is saying, well, there's your gift. But if you give your life away and you give your finances away for the glory of God and you keep it secret, your reward will be where? In heaven. This is a very clear teaching over and over again in the New Testament, having a reward from God versus a reward from man. So as a human being, when we consider this hypothetical, sadly, situation, um, we, we recognize that we have sin. We're not God. We, we tend to 
even if it's unintentional to begin with, uh, we tend to taint things. We tend to want to have power. And, and the reason why Jesus has to share this in the Bible, this idea that uh, people would walk up and sound a trumpet even before they put their money in the box, or they'd sound a trumpet before they'd pray out loud and say these beautiful words so mankind could hear. The reason is because mankind is full of ourselves. We, we think life is best when we are at the top of the hierarchy. And there's a problem to that because often what will happen is that selfishness will taint the entire beauty of the gift. This is why Jesus wanted to warn it. Because the idea of being generous is supposed to display God. And because God, because God is different than us, because God has chosen not to be anonymous in his gift, it does not make him a sinner. It does not make God wrong. So I want to like work with this argument with you for a few minutes. I began with an anonymous gift. It's probably a good idea. I, you try to use the great big gift because that's for a lot of us, that's our, our biggest debt that many of us have is our homes. And, and, and the idea of somebody paying that would be a huge debt to give. But should, do you get to know who they are? And you kind of feel like, well, the, what's go, there's, there's like, got to be a catch here. But with God who gives a, even a greater gift than a, a, a physical need on this planet, he is not wrong to not do it anonymously. He doesn't struggle with saying, I wish I had more power. If I can put people indebted to me, then I'll have more power. It's like God already has the most power. God says, maybe they'll, they'll owe me more, they'll owe me some money. God's like, I don't need your money. I make things with my words. Like, that's not, that's not a God problem. And what about power and his sovereignty? He's utmost in those things. So the beauty of God choosing not to give us an anonymous gift, but to give us a, a gift that can be known and enjoyed is beautiful because it is the very thing that lets us know who he is. And when we know who God is, this endlessly generous entity, that has chosen to give us the greatest gift of all, he reveals it to us so that we can worship him because the giver does get the glory. And the greatest glory going to the greatest giver is right. But do you see the issue when a man gets into that component? When mankind gets into this, oh, look at how powerful I am, how strong I am, how financially helpful I am or how stable I am, be indebted to me. That's broken. But that is a man or woman trying to get to the place of where God should be. So when we have a God who gives a great and generous gift to us and then reveals it to us, it's beautiful. And then it's not broken. There's not this sense of, oh, I'm indebted to this person who's going to be a tyrant. No, you become a family member of the most generous God who has endless gifts for all time. That's the beauty and satisfaction of knowing about our great and generous God. Our feelings are now in our rightful place. The sovereignty, the all-powerful, the glorious God is generous. And you get to know who he is. It is not anonymous. And this is why the gospel, and even as I start with this today, it's the story of salvation, of sinners coming into a relationship with a perfect God. 
It's good for us to know God. It's good for us to know that he is generous. It's good to know that we are endlessly loved by him. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone who believes in his sacrifice will be saved. So first of all, the person of Jesus in the activity of what he has done on the cross and his resurrection and his perfect life that he hands to us is the gift. And it is the display of our God and his character. Hebrews 1.3, I have this up on the screen for you. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when we see Jesus... What are we seeing? Well, we're seeing God. And that's this whole idea of mankind trying to understand and see and be with and, and knowing God in a right relationship. Jesus came. God sent Jesus so that we could see a glimpse of who God is, see the actual imprint of who God is, see the radiance of the weight, the glory of who God is. So there's two parts to it, though. One is the person of Jesus, like seeing who Jesus, how did Jesus act? But secondly, the various actions that Jesus did that summarize our salvation, that sinners can be saved in the, in the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So point number one today, the gospel, it reveals God's character. What do we read? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's our first point today. The gospel reveals God's character. Why is this important? Well, I like the way that Paul describes it here. He doesn't just say the gospel displays God or the gospel reveals God. He says the righteousness of God. He adds some, some, some adjective to that. He, adds, he, he describes it some. So just for, if you'll be with me today, we've talked about this anonymous versus not anonymous. Now we're going to talk about the word righteousness and why it's important and we read the scriptures and understand the righteousness of God. Now we talk about being righteous, seeking righteousness, trying to be right as humans, how does God's righteousness play out in the scriptures? Well, it's this essential attribute of God. It's, it distinguishes him as the ultimate standard for justice, for love, for perfection. That's what this is saying. The perfection, the perfect in all attributes, God holds them perfectly. And it's a foundational aspect of, of who God is. You could say it's God's character. The summary of all of God's attributes is God's righteousness. It's the glory of God. It's the radiance of all of his attributes shining forth to humanity. That's what righteousness of God is. So why is it important that we say this? And today... It's no different than in years past, in generations past, that we understand there is a right in this world. There is a wrong in this world. The righteousness of God is a standard. And God knows that we need right in this world. We have a justice system in our world because we know as humans to live in a healthy society, we have to have justice. In any group, you must have predictability, you must have trust, you must have justice to have some stability. 
and this shared understanding of what's right and wrong is kind of woven into us. And it's this basic confidence that I can walk outside and feel a little safe. That I could go to the store and hand somebody a piece of paper with some dead presidents on it and they'll give me food and not chase me down and hit me with a club. It's like, no, I thought that was right. Like I was told, if I give you this, you give me food and you won't hurt me. Because that, that, that dollar or that coin, it means something. We've agreed. It's predictable. And it's right. So when there's a mark and you hit it, where you're supposed to hit it, it's right. If there's a mark and you miss the mark, it's called sin. It's called wrong. It's called not right. And who is God? Well, God is the one who has always hit the mark. God is the entity that's never missed the mark. He is perfectly just. He is perfectly fair. And he has set a standard of what's right. Remember, we're talking about this phrase in Romans 1. The righteousness of God, the rightness of God is everything God has ever done. And that is the standard. God's never lied. God can always be trusted. He's perfectly just. Now, we may not understand his ways, his actions. We've, we have many men and women in the Bible who go like, now, what in the world's going on? And you may have many seasons in your life. You might be in one right now going, God, I don't know what's going on. So welcome to humanity. But when we read the scriptures and God reveals himself to us, we recognize that he is right. His righteousness is the standard. Romans 1, 17, I'm going to read it again. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So I want to just... Talk about this for a second in six foundational spiritual realities, okay? So I'm going to put them on the board. I want you to track with me for a second, okay? And this is just the gospel. It's nothing complicated. It's stuff. It's, these are things you've heard me say almost every week when I teach. But I just want to lay it out for you because this is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. It's literally what Paul is saying. So we're going to go step one through step six. Hopefully this will be familiar. And if it's not, you're like, oh. I didn't recognize that point had to be in there. But these are foundational. First of all, as we've been saying already today, God's character is perfectly righteous. God's character is perfectly righteous. It's, it's, it's not just good. It's the epitome of good. It's the most good. It's perfect. It's absolute. It's what all other things in the world are measured by by the words and, and uh, attitude and attributes of God. Secondly, with this, you know, we, we, we begin with this righteous God. Secondly, God expects people to live at his standard. Please don't leave the room, okay? Like, like this is a hard one. This is hard. So God makes people. He says, in, in our image, I created them male and female in, 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 in the image of God. Like, to display God, to be, I'm going to create people differently than all the other things on the planet. And that's good news. Like, I, I, we're different, and it's good. Yet to be surpassed, hopefully not by AI soon. But, like, you know, we, we, are, we are the highest, like, level of good God created. We're very good. We're created in the image of God. And he says, 
Welcome to existence, humans. Be like me. Be perfect the way God is perfect. Go. Now, how long did that last? Eh, not even a generation, right? It, like, the first two folks, right, were like, yep, we missed the mark. We, we, we knew what perfect was. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let's eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, we missed the mark. Now we live in a world called with sin. With, there's a problem. We're not living at a standard, but he expects us to, okay? That's a truth we must know when we think about a, a foundational spiritual reality. God's righteous. Now he expects us to live righteously. Thirdly, we fail. Like Adam and Eve, we fail. We fall short. This is called sin. Fourthly, in God's perfect justice, he must punish, he must punish disobedience. For Adam and Eve, it's removal from the garden. For us, very similar. We are, not in, we are not born into the garden, a right relationship with God. We don't start there. We start outside of a relationship with God. That's how, that's how human beings are born. We're born in sin, separate from God. This is a disobedience that we live out daily as sinners, humans, but in God's perfect justice, he can't allow that to go unpunished. Just like any judge at the Johnson County Courthouse can't say, I'm feeling good today, you're all free. Like, that can't happen. Like, it's wrong. That's, that's unjust for that to happen. God, in his perfect justice, must judge sin. So, fifthly, God's love provides a way for sinners to be saved. Amen? We all love number five. Number five is a good one. In God's love and grace, he says, Okay, there's a problem. Sin must be punished. I love these people. I created them for my glory, to be my image bearers, but they're not. So number five says, in his love, that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to A, be the righteousness that we can't be, and B, be the punishment that we don't want to have. So Jesus did both those acts for us. This is the gospel. God's love demonstrated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Sixthly, how does this play out for us? Salvation only comes through faith in Jesus. Salvation only comes through faith in Jesus. It's freely offered, but it's accepted through a belief and an active belief, an active faith of following the Lord. This is the rest of the passage today. So as we review point one, the gospel reveals God's character. We just saw those six things play out. We have a God who loves us so much that because all six of those things are true, it ends with his love and saying, if you have faith, welcome into my family. So this is what I'm going to ask you. How do you see God today? How do you see God today? Do you see God through the lens of the gospel? Do you see God as a loving God who's like, man, that's so giving. You sent Jesus, your only son who was perfect, to die in my place. My hope is that you would be in love with God more. Seeing, learning, trusting, reading, praying to a God who says, I love you so much. And that God chose to not do this anonymously, but to say, I'm still here. I'm a father in love with you. Come and join my family. 
all joy and satisfaction is in his hands. So we have a perfect God in review who chooses to create people in his image and display his character. But people fail. There must be perfect justice for these failings. But in God's perfect love and and a desire to have a relationship with his creation, he sends Jesus to live a perfect life and to die a death in our place. And salvation is now possible to this day for all who will believe by trusting in Christ and living out a life full of faith. Sins are forgiven. A relationship is restored. Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Amen. Let's continue. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So this second half of the sermon today is about faith. So point number two, salvation is started and sustained by faith. So this number six of these six essential truths, spiritual truths, this idea of faith, we're going to talk about this, these two components. One, it started, but secondly, it sustained. And we see this in this passage today. We're saved by saying yes to Jesus, Jesus as the Savior. We've talked about this the last few weeks. The Savior, you got to believe that there was a Jesus, that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, and rose again. You have to believe that as your Savior. Like, yeah, there's a hero from the past that is alive. Like, you have to believe those truths. But the second part, which is equally important, you got to say, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be the one I follow. So have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? This is the kind of faith we're talking about today. And the second part of, of lordship is kind of what Paul's emphasizing here when he says, from faith, this point you made a decision to follow Christ. Many of you in the room have made this decision to follow Christ. But the second part, for ongoing faith, if you will, and Christ throughout your life. And we can see that he even like quotes Habakkuk too. This quotes that you see, the righteous shall live by faith. This idea of living day by day by faith, the importance of that. That's how your salvation exists. This starting and sustaining of faith. Yes, the righteous shall be saved and secured by faith. But we are to live by faith. And I want to kind of focus on that. For a lot of us, that's sometimes our struggle. How do I live day by day faithfully to God? One key passage that I, any chance I get to, to put up on the screen or to study, it's, it's Colossians 2, 6 and 7. It's our discipleship passage that we use here at our church. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We received him, now we walk. Walking is a step-by-step process. Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the beauty of the Christian life. That it's not, a, not just a once saved, always saved, but it's a, it's a once saved, always saved, now go live saved. Right? Like that's, the, that's the life that Paul's expecting of us here as he writes this letter to the Romans. Today I've talked about God's perfect righteousness, His character. We've seen the good news of the gospel. Then we just talked about how 
It's faith. It's ongoing faith. It's the faith that we meet Jesus, but also the ongoing faith that we walk day by day with Jesus that is our salvation. It's, it's how God is revealed by his, his little Jesuses, if you will, walking around the planet remembering their God. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So we know salvation brings apart a lifelong faith. But it's the second part of the expectation that the righteous shall live by faith. I want to ask you this question today. Are you living by faith today? And it's the easiest question to answer at church in the middle of a service, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, nailed it. I made it to church today. I'm inside a worship service. Checkbox done. Right. So maybe your relationship with God after Sunday or after not the middle of a worship service is maybe like a roller coaster as it is for me sometimes. And maybe here on Sunday mornings, you have brothers and sisters in the faith. You kind of have this hour and 15 minutes of like just gifted, religious, beautiful things from the scriptures. We try to do that as a staff and leadership team. It's like like healthy songs, healthy prayers, healthy healthy sermons, healthy healthy like directives within the passages, communion, you know, like, like here you go. But what happens at noon? What happens at 4 o'clock on a Thursday, right? Like what's happening at 4 o'clock on a Thursday in your life with your faith? And I just want to say it's hard. My hope is, is that we will be a church community that has a lot of grace for each other for Thursdays at 4 o'clock. And that you choose, you chose today to come to church. I love the idea that when you go to church to meet with friends and you have a healthy service, that you are reminded of the gospel and you're like, let's go for Jesus. But it doesn't take very many sleeps at night to kind of like start to drift. And I'm right here with you. I get it. But I love church because I need it. I need it so much I, I work here, right? Like, I, I need it a lot. <laughs> and I want just to share a few things with you guys that has helped me over the years, that helps me continuously today, that maybe will help you live by faith. This is not go to heaven so you have to do these things. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying these things have helped me live by faith day by day. So, to begin with, just some things, three, three quick things. After a Sunday, after a Sunday morning by noon, I think through how do I live day by day. First of all, what if you had a little mini personal Sunday service every day? You and the Lord. You, you call it a quiet time. Well, what would I do? I don't know. Start with a little worship music. Have a little confession time. Read a little bit of the Bible. Yes, I'm, this is what the service is, I know, but it's like a mini one, right? Like, it's, that's what we do together. We have like a shared quiet time on Sunday mornings. But, uh, but on Monday, maybe on the way to work or before you go to bed on Monday night, or maybe you have a lunch break where it's like, it's kind of nice for you to kind of like spend 15 minutes alone. Then you have like a little mini service and you say, God, I want to remember you today. I want to live by faith today. I need you in my life today. 
Sorry for these areas of my life that have, I've struggled. Secondly, what if each week you made an intentional point to hang out with a Christian? You, you hung out with a brother or sister in Christ. You just chose to have a coffee or a lunch. or You just made it an intentional decision, maybe a brother or sister in this room. And it's like, I just want to talk about the Bible with you. Or, or like, let's just share our stories a little bit and kind of like see what would God have me do this week. Just one simple question and pray for one another. And with that, what we try to do here at the church is have some, some organized Bible studies. Mine meets a couple times a month. I know many of the other ones meet maybe weekly or every couple times a month. And if you're, if you're interested in that, if you're a student, we have youth ministry on Wednesday nights. It's awesome. It's, it's another service for you in the middle of the week. But my hope is, is that you would intentionally not wait for somebody to call you. But you'd be like, I need this. So build that relationship with somebody. Reach out, reach out across a chair or an aisle, even in the lobby today. Like, hey, Pastor Dave mentioned this. You want to grab coffee this week? And just start that text. I need that every week. Thirdly, join a ministry team here at Neighborhood Church. Where are you, where are you serving? Just another place that you're on maybe an email stream or a text stream of anywhere from like, you know, making sure there's the grass is cut or making sure that the student ministry runs good on on Wednesday nights, or, the, or your talk is getting ready for a kids' ministry on Sunday morning, or maybe you're part of the band, or, or in the tech booth. Like, there's just things that are happening around here that all, so, I mean, I look around, all, so many of us do. But, like, that's just another way to get involved in what God's doing in your community. And most of these are not for you, it's for other people. So you get to kind of give back to this, this great church that we are part of. And these three things I've been doing since I was a teenager. And they help me live by faith day by day. And if I just had Sunday morning service, guys, I might just skip the next one. And then two weeks goes by. And then I'm like, maybe the third week's enough. I'll just watch online on the third one. You know, it's like you see where it goes. It's like you kind of forget because you drift because we all do that. But my hope is that you would recognize that living by faith, there's beautiful rhythms and patterns that people have done way before us that we could recognize. Hey, if it's a little hard for you, welcome. Yes, let's just t- let's take a- another step forward and be intentional with folks. All of these environments exist along with the Sunday service so that we can live by faith more and more with God. And my hope is that this morning you would consider where are you at in those environments and, and maybe some steps you can take within them. I'm going to finish this by reading our passage today and, and re- reviewing our points. Hopefully you, you, you grabbed these from our service. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our first point, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it reveals who God is. He is such a good God, isn't he? He's such a good God that the gospel is good news for people. And he chose to reveal himself to us. Secondly, that the salvation is started and sustained by faith. May we continue to lean on who Jesus is and what he has asked us to do and trust that his ways are the most satisfying life that we can live. Let's pray. Father, as we make our way to this time of communion, as we remember the cross and what Jesus has done for us, may we remember that you have initiated all of this, that as sinners we would just drift and drift and drift and never care about you, but you took a step into our lives. 
and you have given freely this grace. And that through faith, we can have a relationship with you, God. And each day we need you. Each day we need to remember you. Father, I pray for those in the room that are evaluating their their lives if they live by faith day by day and that your spirit would help move them to make steps to help them be encouraged to trust you each and every day. Father, it's in your name. Amen.